0: hey team it's steady state podcast your rowing fix where the water is always flat the catches are clean and you can always hear the coxswain
1: it's rachel friedman and tara morgan this is steady state podcast
0: sit ready Tara and I are really interested in backstories, the experiences that lead people to be the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today.
1: This is episode nine, and we're talking with John Ulbreeze and Akil Abdullah. We were inspired to pair an Olympic hopeful with an Olympian to talk
0: about their experiences, and both have deep roots in the Washington, D.C. area. Olympian Akil Abdullah started rowing in high school and went on to represent the United States as the first Black American male rower to qualify for and compete in the Olympics. He now lives with his family in Boston and is working to make the sport more inclusive through several initiatives. In 2019, Akil joined Hydro as a featured athlete. An Olympic hopeful John Olbries is currently
1: serving in the U.S. Coast Guard and training for the Tokyo Olympic Games out of the D.C. area. He's an out and proud LGBT rower at Potomac Boat Club. Hey, so John and Abdul, thanks for coming.
2: It's great to be here, thanks for having us.
3: Crickets.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So
1: John, how's
2: DC these days? It's been a crazy year. Yeah, DC is actually pretty great. The blessing in disguise of, you know, the year being what it has been um, is that the downtown area has been pretty empty. Um, So in the middle of the summer, when usually it's just packed full of tourists, um, there have actually been some early on in the whole COVID situations or situation, there were some pictures taken by uh, somebody from the air of the whole mall, and it's just dead, dead dead empty. Um, So it's been actually really interesting as a resident being able to enjoy the city in a way that usually you haven't been able to enjoy it. Um, and that, of course, is the silver lining. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of my friends in the city um, and also Potomac Boat Club, who I row for, have been very shut down, cloistered away from other people who they're not generally interacting with. Um, so balancing wanting to see people who you've gotten so used to seeing in the city and the convenience of being in a city and being able to walk to see a friend or get a coffee or whatever, taken a lot of adjustment. But I think people are, are faring pretty well. And outside of that, you know, the the government continues to function as normal and it's all business as usual. We've gotten used to doing everything uh, remotely and nothing has collapsed.
3: So, you know, pretty good. Good reviews all around.
1: Akhil, what about you? You're in Boston, yeah?
3: Yeah, I'm up on the North shore of Massachusetts in a town called Ipswich. I'm looking out the window and there's a whole bunch of snow and I'm uh, pining for my next trip to Miami.
1: Yeah, and you have uh, little ones at home.
3: Yeah, I have a six-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, wow! This is a daughter. Yeah, and my uh, youngest is my my son. So yeah, things are pretty crazy right here. So if you happen to hear screaming or yelling in the background, it's my kids. I should, I should repeat that it's either it's either my kids or me screaming at my kids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, because you've had
0: you've had a whole lot more time with them this year.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, you said on the Rowing in Color podcast, how that was actually kind of a blessing in in a way that you got to know their routines a little bit more and you got to see what, what mom does, you know. And, and yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I think that the 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 key for me has been in recognizing sort of the load that my, my wife carries. I mean, I know she does like so much to keep the family uh, up and going, um, as well as, you know, being a frontline worker. I think it's my my year of independence in the sense that I no longer have to ask how much do the kids eat, um, do they need new clothes, um, you know, right. w- what time do they need to be where, like all of those things. I just, I have that, that knowledge now, so.
1: Uh, John, is it, are you able to work from home?
2: Yes, um, but recently, maybe a couple of months ago, our, uh, the admiral who's in charge of our base uh, that I work at in... Um, Southeast mandated that uh, people of certain ranks have to be in the office a certain number of days. Um, So I am fully able to telework, but I'm in the office twice a week now, which actually works to my benefit uh, because the base's gym is open. So I can do my scheduled lifts while I'm at work and then uh, telework for the rest of the week. Um, And it also makes the workday a little bit more productive when I'm actually able to get into the office and have my dual monitor situation connected, hardwired to the government's unclassified network and seeing people and actually being able to hash things out face-to-face is a little bit easier than just uh, you know doing phone calls all day long um, or Zoom meetings, which everyone in the government is exhausted with, as I'm sure the rest of the world is, you know? (laughs) So yeah. yeah, um,
0: So um, we want to kind of start digging in. And like we mentioned at the top, we really like to know about backstories and kind of how you ended up where you are today. So we're going to go way back, John. Um, You grew as a freshman at Wakefield High School. That's in Arlington, Virginia, right outside of DC. Um, From there, you moved on to the Coast Guard Academy and graduated in 2011. Uh, You're a commissioned officer with what, more than nine years of service now? Yes. And uh, you rode as a master with Baltimore Rowing Club, which is when I initially met you, and mm-hmm. uh, became a competitive member of Potomac Boat Club, where you are currently the president. Is that right?
2: No, uh, no, I'm the club captain, not the president.
0: Oh, gotcha, club captain. Um, you have raced uh, two U.S. Rowing National Team trials, and you've got your eye on the next trials next year. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, did you get a workout in this morning?
2: I did. Uh, woke up and put in some steady state on the ERG, and I'm going to go for a long and low run later on with um, Emily Schmieg, a teammate of mine. So, Akhil, you were born
1: in Washington, D.C., and learned to row at the famous Woodrow Wilson uh, High School, then going to g where George Washington University, where you rowed while getting a degree in physics. Bravo. Oh, wow. You were on the US national team from ninety nine to two thousand four, becoming the first black man to qualify for and compete in an Olympic rowing event, making the men's final in the making the final in the men's double in Athens. You sat on you sat on several boards and committees working to increase diversity in rowing, and you were now a hydro featured athlete.
3: All of that sounds correct. Yes, you nailed it.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Um, so we wanted to sit you two down together as an Olympic hopeful over here with John, and a former successful Olympian uh, in a keel to talk rowing, breaking barriers, and, and going for gold.
3: Yeah. Point of order: uh, once an Olympian, always an Olympian. So I was um,
1: wondering no about that
3: former in there. Is it just <laughs> I'm just, noted, I'm just Olympian
1: up. noted. Noted. Okay. Anyway. So,
3: just-
1: anyway. Olympian. A keel Olymp- of gold
3: busting your chops. Go on.
0: <laughs> Thank you. So John, take us back. It's freshman year. You're at Wakefield High School. What were you into then? And what kind of kid were you?
2: I was uh, kind of all over the place uh, back in freshman year of high school. My, my whole high school experience was each single year was defined by a different version of myself. So freshman year, I had uh, just left middle school where my hair was entirely dyed blue. I got heavy into the SoCal punk scene, um, was listening to a lot of social distortion. I had big chains on my pants. Um, I started moving more into like the goth heavy metal scene. Um, so my pants got like darker and darker and baggier and baggier and it was it was weird. Uh, it, like I was just very much extremely expressive in a sartorial sense my parents thought that that was kind of kind of weird and a lot but they just kind of let it happen because my grades were good and I was generally pretty involved with everything school wise at Wakefield in freshman year we actually had a really interesting experience um, where because the school is a public school and because it was so diverse at the time so uh, freshman year of high school I started doing Model UN. I made a lot of friends, um, half of which that year were from, um, you know, born in other countries around the world. Um, And some of those people from Model UN said, said that they were going to this meeting for crew and I should tag along. So not knowing what that was, I just stumbled into this meeting where American coach uh, Barrett Weiser and Canadian coach Gus McKay basically asked us if we had any rowing experience. I said, I'd been in a kayak, does that count? And they said, close enough. And so they brought me down to the boathouse which uh, used to be between uh, the 395 bridges is now where the actual 395 expressway bridges at the Anacostia River. Um, right next to the Washington Navy Yard. And they sat us in a barge, uh, that big old like side-by-side learn to row craft. And we just barged it up for weeks and weeks. And it was super cool. It was nice being outside. Uh, it, was, it was interesting doing this activity where you had to rely on other people and be part of that group of people who are relying on you to be in perfect unison and make things work. Um, and being the incredible nerd that I am, the, the, the micromanagement of every little minute detail of the rowing stroke and trying to get it right every single time actually appealed a lot to me. Um, so I just kind of fell into it. Uh, and Gus and Barrett were both really just great supportive coaches. Um, they made it really easy to come down to the boathouse. And uh, you know after spending 45 minutes in DC rush hour traffic in a short yellow bus trying to get to the boathouse, like, it really made being there worth it. Following that, I just kind of kept up with it. Um, the team ebbed and flowed in size. I was the, the varsity team my fresh or my senior year at Wakefield High School. I was able to get in a single that my dad had gotten his hands on and, you know, practice sculling for the first time ever that year. And my coaches were able to scrounge up some comp- some competition for me from other schools, um, since I don't think very many people were rowing in singles in the area at that time. Got to be in a, a bit of an addiction, you know, uh, I just fell in love with it but uh, I think Barrett put it wisely once where he said that it's a sport where you either really like you love to love it or you love to hate it but you're never going to fall in between where you're just it's okay you know you've either got to have that passion or waking up at five in the morning to go to the boathouse is going to be it's going to be a bit of a deal breaker you know
0: I think that we probably all know some folks like that who maybe loved it for a year or two and then Mm -hmm. they felt like it's okay and walked away from
2: it
1: yeah, John, would you say that you were a natural at rowing, a natural learner?
2: Nope. Well, natural learner, yes. Uh, but a natural at the sport, definitely not. Yeah, um, but it's the the learning aspect uh, has been something that I've been um, doing ever since the first time that I went down to a boathouse. Um, every coach that I've worked with has has put things into um, like framed things differently, and instead of just talking about the rowing stroke, talking about you know nutrition, training plans, recovery, um, all of these things, you know, as the the broader world of physiology and sport has started to learn more about what makes people tick, um, learning more about that in the context of rowing has just been super cool and interesting, um, and it's been fun to be able to do that alongside. Uh, a bunch of other really high caliber athletes as well. Kiel,
0: you growing up in DC, really just like 10 miles from where John was growing up, you went to Woodrow Wilson High School. It's kind of common knowledge that you were playing football as a kid, yes. but senior year you took up rowing. Now, um, I think something I just learned was that at that time, um, the high school was the only public or private school in the nation's capital with a rowing program. Today they're, Today, yeah. they're all over the place. Um, How did you make that move from the football field
3: to the boat? Well, the, 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 the lore is that my mother was standing at the bottom of the stairs before senior beach week in high school. And I hadn't decided whether I was going to play football or row. Um, But before she would let me out of the door, um, I had to make a decision about where I was going to school, Uh, which is, which is, Pretty accurate, but um, I think that I had already decided that I was going to row. I just had a hard time um, putting it into words because, uh, you know, I played football for, you know, most of my childhood. My dad loved football, and I think was keen on seeing me play football in, in college. But, um, you know, I just that wasn't that wasn't really what I wanted. Um, I didn't see myself as a football player, you know, long term, um, and that was just ready to, you know, start start a different adventure, which is actually pretty insightful for a kid at that age.
0: That's very insightful. So can you take us back, okay, so you're making your decision about college, but take us back when you first kind of heard about rowing. I think you said you've said that you used it as basically cross training for football. Yeah. But yeah. if if rowing, the rowing scene was so small at that time, especially scholastic rowing, Um, kind of how did you hear about it? How did you get into it? How were you motivated to stay?
3: Yeah, well, Woodrow Wilson um, is, was, you know, at the time we were really lucky to have such a, you know, diverse population. I was in the international studies program and did the um, model Congress. Uh, So (laughs) some similarities there between John and I in terms of our desire to save the world, but I had friends that rode and, you know, I played, uh, I played different sports. I played golf. I played, you know, I ran track. I did, and, and we had athletes that were rowers as well. And so I had friends, they had been hounding me to row for a long time. And so I finally, you know, I caved in and said, yeah, I'll I'll try this rowing thing out. And, you know, I'm a big, tough guy walking in doing my first 500 meter piece. And I was, yeah, I, I, it utterly destroyed me. Like I remember that that feeling of just falling off the erg that first time. Um, but even then, it really didn't sort of stick until you know I, I think maybe a month, a couple months of being on the water and having the experience of the boat moving uh, well for the for the first time and really getting lost in the motion um, and then you know chasing that feeling ever since
0: yeah Yeah. we
1: talked a lot about rachel and i talked a lot about the uh the perfect stroke and the myth of the perfect stroke and the quest for the perfect stroke and i think that speaks to what john was talking about like if you're in it there's got there's this hunt that's happening like you're hunting for that perfect stroke hunting for the hunting for that send hunting for the the feel right the flying right? right
3: I tell people that I've had many perfect strokes. It just stringing them together is the challenge. Yeah. Exactly.
0: exactly. You might get a couple in a row and you're like, man, that was awesome. And let's yeah. make it happen again. <laughs> Very similar to golf. I'll, I'll say I'm a golfer also. Like you get that game and you're like,
1: dang, I'm good. And then it just goes to hell, you know? Or in our case, Mother Nature speaks up and says, nope, you get a headwind or you get a sidewind or
0: you get some chop or, you know. John, so you go from high school, where you've talked about kind of really falling in love with like the details of the sport and how that really works with like how your brain works, and mm-hmm. you decide that you want to go to the Coast Guard, and you know Coast Guard life is, I'm assuming, pretty darn intense. Um, you know, you you walk in there and you're like, I'm I'm ready to save the world in the Coast Guard, and um, how did rowing fit into that?
2: At the academy, it was I'm saying easy with air quotes. Um, you're given two hours out of your day every single day starting at four o'clock at least when I was a cadet to do sports and as a cadet you're required to do at least two semesters of sports and crew by its nature was a year-long sport so you show up you do fall rowing you roll into winter training which doesn't count but then you do spring rowing um, which does count that's your year so it was it was pretty easy to do that, but balancing that as a cadet was really difficult because the remainder of your day um, is all classes and outside of classes, you know, at uh, seven o'clock in the morning, there's an hour blocked out after you shovel breakfast into your face to do military training or academic training or um, some sort of professional development, something or another that you have to do. Practice uh, doing the military parades we do every day on, or every Friday, for example. And then the evening, there was another hour to two hours blocked out for the exact same thing after sports period, um, starting at seven o'clock. So you'd run back up to barracks, shower, change, shove food into your face, and then run off to this training. And at nine, you'd get to start your homework. Um, so you'd be doing homework until about midnight to maybe like one, two in the morning, and then start it all over at six o'clock the next morning. And it just really kind of wears you down. Um, What we didn't know as cadets is that would set us up really well for actually thinking that life is pretty easy leaving the academy um, where you get to sleep in luxuriously to about six o'clock instead of having to be up and ready to go at six. Um, And you have a lot fewer time commitments, which means you can manage your time a lot better. Um, My first two years in the Coast Guard, I was on a ship and I was stationed out of Charleston, South Carolina Um, I did have a single at that point. I bought one right after I graduated, and I put it into a little shack in a state park um, that was managed by this guy, Rando Blythe, um, on the north side of town in Mount Pleasant. Um, Right off of the Wando River, it's on a creek. The creek is gorgeous. The weather in Charleston is pretty nice almost all year round, Um, but I barely ever touched it because I lived on the polar opposite side of the town. It took like an hour and a half to get there one way um and i was also deployed for half of the time i was stationed there so it was just so far that it just sat there collecting dust um i also didn't have skulls at the time and rando kept on sending me emails saying when are you going to buy some oars so you can actually row this boat and i was like i am paying you it's fine if it just sits there you know it's good unfortunately i didn't row as much as i wanted to while i was there i got a lot of erging in when we were on deployments but um when i moved to baltimore I had a job that was like a 24 seven response style job. So people would call me at like 1.30 in the morning because their ship broke and they needed repairs. Um, but within the context of working an office job there, it was actually much easier to balance going to boathouse in the morning, um, getting a row in, training in the afternoon if I had time and you know answering all these emails. There's a lot of the lessons actually that I learned in the sport of rowing, I was able to apply to, like to my job just from the logistics of having to get like put all the boats together onto a trailer get them to an event if something happens if you forget equipment how can you like quickly pivot to try and get another boat or another rigger or another fin at the regatta site to make your boat get on the water and go I'd say where i am at headquarters now actually has been the easiest to balance everything um, because the boathouse is not super far away from work and um, my bosses have all been super supportive of my my training um, So it's been, out of all the places that I've been stationed so far, um, the three of them, it's been the easiest place to actually just balance everything because it's a regular office job.
0: So I have a question. You recently wrote this piece for Out Sports, and it was a really open, honest look at growing up moving into the Coast Guard, dealing with some things going on while you were in the Coast Guard. You were holding on to a pretty big secret, weren't you? It was the Mm -hmm. era of don't ask, don't tell. You were afraid that if people found out that you were gay, you'd be ejected from the academy. How did you handle that?
2: Suppress, suppress, suppress. Um, Just, you know, while I was at the academy, they were in the process of repealing don't ask, don't tell and looking at whether they'd repeal it Um, as a government major. Because it was related to federal policy, we had a lot of discussions about it. So it was really weird Mm -hmm. um, sitting there as a gay person who can talk about who I was, having classmates say, "Well, you know, we wouldn't want them here because they'd see us showering." And I really wanted to say, "Like, we're already here, and we just don't care. Like, it's not a big deal." So we did actually have a. Thankfully, a friend of mine was very like. Adamantly pushing the LGBT movement. She uh, started our freshman year doing a national day of silence observance at the Academy, um, which is when we, you know, we got permission at lunch to not talk um, to honor um, people who had gay, well, queer people who had died from um, hate crimes. And so that particular year, uh, We, I think there were eight of us who sat in silence together and we had little placards that we could hand to people. Um, but that was really the, the precursor to our gay underground, um, which was a nice thing to have, because we could all like have some fellowship, you know, that, that sense of community was really, it made it so much easier to just be yourself and to breathe, actually feel like you can breathe around other people without having to hide the secret. Um, so that whole thing evolved uh, to what is now uh, the first uh, queer affinity group at any of the service academies, which started after all of us graduated and left. But um, it's pretty cool to be a part of that and uh, nerve wracking for the entire time that I was there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I could definitely talk to you a whole lot about, you know, what's transpired since then. I know that now, out and proud, and things, I think, have changed a whole lot for you, for LGBTQ rowers. It's nice to see people being out and being vocal. There's so much that we could talk to both of you about. We'd love to have a long discussion about that. That might happen at another time. Steady State Network is a media group bringing together real-life rower experiences through podcast conversations, website musings, and a curated quarterly magazine. Join us as a patron, writer, artist, podcast guest, and fan. It's rowing for the rest of us. Steady State is made possible by support from our Patreon community. Thanks especially to Jen, Grace, and Patricia. Go team! And we're back with Akil Abdullah and John Olbriz. Really, we wanted to sit you two down together to talk about national team training and, you know, going for gold.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about that because I want to get a sense of the timeline. So, Akhil, when did you go from college to moving into transitioning to the national team? Was that a pretty seamless or did you, was there a break in there?
3: Um, no, I mean, I think that it took me, it took me about three years until mm. I was, you know, um, rowing at, at sort of the national team level. Um, and sort of the, a lot of that was development and, the single skull and, uh, and, and just strength and fitness overall, um, rowing at George Washington. At the time we were racing at the regatta level. And so we weren't, you know, in the sprints. And so I had some work to do.
1: Yeah. What was it about being an Olympian that became, uh, aspirational for you? Like, what was it about that level? Cause that's really tough.
3: Yeah, there was a time long ago in 1984 when I saw the Olympics and I stood in the bathroom as a little kid with my arms over my head playing the you know, national anthem and imagining myself at the Olympics. Wow. So that was the, that was the nascent genesis of the, of the dream. Um, never did I ever think how it would come to fruition or that rowing would be the sport. But I think that it, it's like a lot of things in life. We find that we're decent or moderately good, and, and we continue to try and hone those skills. It requires you know, a lot of sacrifice and effort. Uh, But as long as we're continuing to make gains, and I think that rowing is one of those sports where you can continue to make gains for quite a long time, um, then it's something that you continue to pursue.
0: So you worked at it for a few years. Remind me what year that you finally made the team?
3: '99 was the first year I made the team as a as, as a spare when we raced in Egbalet. And so I had been training for a while. I went to the '96 Olympic trials actually. I forget what I came in fourth or fifth there in the single. And so that was sort of you know the stepping point where it's like okay, well I'm I'm here. I'm obviously I, I'm good enough. I just need to do a little bit more work to continue to do that. And and from that period on, I raced. I rode at Potomac. Rode in uh, in Boston, um, I just moved wherever I rode in Philly. I rode where wherever it was. I saw the the most opportunity for me making the gains that I needed to make.
1: John, what is it that's so attractive to you about the Olympics? Do you have that same sort of uh, moment where you watched the Olympics and you thought, well, I'd love to be there
2: someday. I actually heard something recently and I can't remember where it came from, but uh, somebody said the goal of every amateur athlete is to one day be on the Olympic stage. Yeah, that actually captures kind of what I've, I was feeling as a master's rower having graduated from the academy because I was racing and racing and racing. And I, um, I actually won a master's national in the double with a good friend of mine. And that made me cock my head a little bit and think, well, what else can I do with this? Like how is Masters Racing it or can we go together and win uh, club nationals and or go to trials and be successful there? So, you know, I thought I would at least set the goal for myself to show up to a trials and get to the point where I can be competitive at trials, but why not set the goal farther than that and try and go all the way, you know? So that has been my motivation
0: I remember i met you a bunch of years ago when you were rowing with brc and you were racing at stonewall regatta i think in a single um stonewall is hosted by dc strokes rowing club where i was coaching at the time so you've been kind of in my peripheral vision for a few years and i've seen you know your progression from from brc to pbc to now you know having your eyes on the olympics and that's pretty darn exciting
2: yeah yeah also a uh, big plug for stonewall i love that regatta like Bar none, that is the regatta that I will always show up to in race. It's such a fun time. Uh, the added bonus of getting a bottle of wine for winning your race is pretty excellent.
0: Oh man! Well, thanks for the plug. When you join the Steady State Patreon community as a subscriber. You're supporting a new narrative in rowing and a couple of your fellow rower entrepreneurs make it happen. Patrons get bonus content, swag, and early access. So join today at SteadyStateNetwork.com, on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, and on Twitter at SteadyStateRow.
1: We're going to get to the inspiration for the show. The inspiration for the show was what would happen if John got to ask Akil, an Olympian, questions and help him Propel himself forward. So John, take it away. You sent us some questions. So take it away.
2: Sure. So I guess one thing that I, I really do want to ask, just to kind of get like get any details that I might be able to glean um, is as I've been learning a lot about like, you know, continuing to learn about the sport, um, there are some times when I sit down and I think, huh, if only I'd known this like a couple of years ago, where would I be now? And Akhil, not to, because this always gets framed in the context of like, oh, there are regrets. Um, I wanna remove like the regrets idea from this context. But if there were something that you knew a couple of years before um, you made the national team um, that you could have changed about your rowing or your rowing career, what would that have been and why?
3: wow that is uh what would you do differently um yeah, yeah no i think that, that that's that's a that's a great question and luckily i have copious amounts of journals which you're welcome to have <laughs> but uh, but um i think that the one thing that i hadn't realized early on was just the benefits that i gained from rowing long Amounts of time with basically very light pressure, like not even steady state just out there really getting the mechanics and thinking about that. Um, You know, I think that that for me was that was my breakthrough year was when I actually trained in Boston, I had to ride my bike, probably about 10 miles. I didn't have a car. So this is like even through winter. I rode my bike, probably about six miles to the boathouse. Um, I rode the entire Charles River. Uh, I was training with Jamie Coven at the time. And then I would ride to work and then I would ride to work out at the gym and then I would ride home and basically pass out um, and sleep. And so just the, the amount of miles that I put in just because I had to was the thing that I, I don't know if it would have gotten me there faster, but I definitely know that that, that was the the one thing that I did different was I just rode a lot, working on my technique, moving the boat. Was the, do you think the fact that you were biking everywhere,
2: like basically doing nonstop physical activity almost all day long um, helped that along too?
3: Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think that the year of riding my bike was, was extremely helpful in that sense um, because, uh, because it did, everything was, even when I was going out, I was going out to meet friends. I ride my bike, you know? So, um, I think that that's, training your engine right there. That's the, from the fitness aspect, you know, I'm getting that fitness in. So I was able to just row and work on my technique a lot. And then by the end of my time, before I moved down to Princeton, New Jersey to train, um, my, my, my steady state splits had, had, had dropped. Um, yeah. And that was just because of, you know, both the fitness aspect as well as having put in the miles and, and, and the technique that, that I had improved. Uh, i i guess the the nugget that i would glean from there is that find you have to have I, it's nice to have uh a a way to get in the fitness that isn't rowing right you know so that when you come down to the boathouse you're excited about actually being on the water mm-hmm. um and every workout doesn't have to be about trying to get the fitness in
2: Right.
0: Jen, you've done a lot of you've done a lot of cycling and running. Have you done a triathlon as well? Am I, am I, am I making that up?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I did. a I did a half Ironman last year. Yeah, it was so much fun. I, I have to admit it was nice. I swam in high school. It was good to get back in the pool, too, um, and gave me a good excuse to go right across the road to the outdoor pool at the Air Force Base. It was it was a good way to end the day. With a, a long and low swim and some reading poolside
1: yeah i've been swimming all year i think swimming is really great for rowers as is cycling i'm also a spin mm-hmm. teacher and missing both of those things but i've been swimming all year until they close the pool and what i loved about it was it was so technique specific that i would have the lifeguards videotape my stroke because i was like i'm missing having a cox and i'm missing having a coach and have them uh, break everything down and riding everywhere on my bike too and it's just you i've got so many hills here It's just so nice. John, do you have another question for Akil?
2: Sure. In your your journey since you started, um, I guess even to include everything past when you went to the Olympics, um, what's been one of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome in the sport?
3: Wow. Challenges. Challenges abound. Um, When people ask me this question, it's always a tough one because I don't really view obstacles and and, and challenges. I I always think of like everything in life as part of the process. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you come up against something that is a challenge. I find that that's the most rewarding thing. You know, uh, I was been working with my daughter. She has this little robot code kit and, you know, she's like trying to figure out how to do it and she's like, I can't do this. This is too hard. And she walks away and she throws things down and she comes back and then the moment, bam, she figured out how to get the robot to do like four left turns and do the thing with the code. She was so excited, right? you know? Um, and and I think that through throughout um my my career the you know the 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 challenge was being to me if i had the chip on my shoulder would would have been like being the small heavyweight you know mm-hmm. like being in that place where i could have gone to be, be a lightweight but i'd love to eat uh yeah, yeah or, or you know or <laughs> or you know do i work really hard and you know just basically go to the limits of 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 what i'm physically capable of and mm-hmm. i think that that's, that for me, has been was was the biggest challenge of, you know, having to get up on the get on the line with guys going 650, in, I'm sorry, like 550 or 545, you know, on the right. earth. and like you know here I am sitting at my 601, you know, and 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 so what was the challenge for me was to uh, make the boat move when my oars weren't in the water, like mm-hmm. that was the biggest challenge for me in rowing. Like how do I make sure that 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 I'm I, I can I can get as strong as I can, um, but there's always going to be someone stronger. So how do you make the boat move when your oars aren't in the water? And and for me that was the biggest challenge um, in terms of, of 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 the of the sport. Um, I mean, other challenges include uh, how do I eat? <laughs> right. um, you know, uh, I lived in Tampa, uh, Florida in a in a in a in a motel with Steve Tucker uh and and one other guy um making uh peanut butter sandwiches and eating tuna fish and and eggs in a microwave um for like a couple of months because you know that's what I had to do. You know, like we had the owner it was named Sham and like <laughs> we you know so I think that there's there's a number of challenges, but those are those are the stories that that we look back on and like and laugh about and, and, and and you know, we've gone through it. And I think that right. that is keeping, keeping positive in those moments of hardship.
2: When you, you mentioned that you moved around a whole lot um, and that you lived in, you know, lived and trained in DC, Boston, um, Philly, and uh, maybe Princeton separately from Philly. Yeah. Uh, when you were moving around, what were you, what were you trying to find? Or were you like just following coach around a row with them? What was yeah. that about?
3: Yeah, so definitely PV. Like when I was running at PVC, it was because, you know, I just graduated, I was home. Um, there was actually a really great program there being run by Ken Dreyfus at the time. We had a number of, you know, uh, people trying to make the team or uh, like just like a great elite program, you know, mm-hmm. there. And so, um, and like I love that that tradition has continued. Um, and and so that was like the place for me to be. Um, and then it came, you know, well, was I gonna row in a double? Was I gonna row in a single? Or was I gonna try to make the quad? And, you know, the quad was basically out of Augusta, you know, so I had to move to Augusta mm-hmm. or, you know, or I didn't make it in Augusta. So I came back and I was in Philly for a bit. And then I sort of had a, a, a breakout year in terms of my performance. I said to Jamie, you know, can I come and train with you? up in Boston. And for me, like I said, not only that, like I made decisions that were that were either because there was someone that I wanted to train with um, or there was an opportunity for me to have the type of balance that I needed, meaning that like I could find a job and I could rep. Right.
1: Thank you so much to Akil for answering John's burning questions. And John, thank you for being so brave to share your experience. And we wish you luck in your quest to get to Tokyo in 2021. And it's time to close out the show with our favorite segment, Rapid Fire.
0: You ready? Tara, this first one that we normally ask, I think we need to massage a little bit because these guys are scullers, predominantly. Mm-hmm. We normally ask port or starboard. I'd
3: say an ambi- or- uh, Port
2: all the way, but I can row starboard. I don't know why I would, but. Starboard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> people still have very firm answers. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, that
3: being said, I row whichever side is needed in, in, in my old man's boat.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any boat, any seat, any day, right? Yeah. Get it done. Uh, OK, bow seat or stroke seat?
3: Oh. Stroke seat. Uh, yeah, stroke, I'm, actually. I'm a single sculler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Even when you're in an eight, right? Hopefully, That's well. right.
3: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sitting okay. in the bow <laughs>
0: yeah yeah <laughs> all right salt water or fresh water
3: salt are we talking about for rowing there's too much context required for me to answer that question um, A rowing yeah the rowing yeah uh
1: head salt race water. okay salt water head race or sprint race
3: mm. sprint all day long i like the head races
0: OK, this is also our normal question. Uh, I'm, I'm a little curious, because I know you guys are scholars predominantly right now. But uh, your favorite coxswain command to receive or give?
3: Ooh. So <laughs> I'm going to offend a bunch of coxswains by saying that the best coxing I've ever had uh, is my right foot.
0: Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm offended,
3: very, very but perfect. I can understand. But, but let, it, let it run.
2: Uh, I think breathe, because I sometimes forget to do that. Oxygen's important
3: in the sport, you know? Yeah.
2: yeah, a little bit. Uni suit or two-piece?
3: Uni. Once again, in my mind, I need context. Are we talking like, you know, a mid-riff action? Because I think that that would be awesome. Uh... <laughs> like
0: fraud, like st- <laughs> yeah, standard, standard... Yeah, like we could... <laughs> I think we're talking uh, like standard tank and trowel.
3: Oh, oh, okay. Well, then uni suit.
1: Last one, coffee before or after a row?
3: Before, why not both? Oh,
2: wow! <laughs>
3: Brilliant.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Hey John, do you have a favorite coffee place in in Georgetown where you go?
2: Yeah, actually. Um, so, for post practice coffees, baked and wired is the best.
0: Lemon pound cake to
3: die for. Yeah. Is uh, Booty Monger still 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 around? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's, it definitely that's where is. To, that's where I used to go. They had at the time, maybe this is dating myself. I think it was like a two or three dollar sandwich that like had oodles of eggs and bacon and cheese and just go in there, grab a coffee after workout. Yeah. yeah. You can get oh, a vat of coffee for like a buck fifty. No. <laughs>
1: just, just mainline it. Just mainline yeah. it here.
2: <laughs> they do something with it too to make it extra caffeinated. I don't know what it is, but it has that kick.
1: Thank you,
0: guys. This has been great. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: It's really nice to meet you, Akil. John, hopefully I'll see you face-to-face in D.C. one of these days. Hopefully soon. Come out to Seattle anytime. Come and film out here to do hydro
1: filming out here. We got beautiful water. But we love talking to you guys. Thanks, everyone. We'll
0: talk to you soon. Happy holidays. Take take care. happy.
2: Happy holidays. It's time to
0: check it down and finish up this episode like we always do. Each week, listeners share the best rowing-related things that happen to them. Let's hear from a few folks.
4: Hi, my name is Holly Davey, and I'm in Halifax, Nova Scotia on the east coast of Canada. I'm a coach with the Halifax Rowing Club, and the best part of my rowing week would be that we just hit the one-month marker of our virtual winter training, this is the first year we've ever done winter training over Zoom. And on Saturday, a lot of my athletes were able to complete bird testing from their homes for the first time ever. We had a lot of athletes hit personal bests, and some people pulled the, the, their first tests ever and had some really great results and, and are fired up and ready to go to build on those improvements throughout the rest of our season. Thanks. Bye. Hi, my name is Rita, and I row for Conibear Rowing Club in Seattle. We row on Lake Washington, and rowing is always the best part of my day. Um, But now, particularly during COVID when we're all in singles, uh, after we launch pre-dawn, it is amazing to see the sky light up. First comes this little thin line of lavender and warmth and then before you know it everybody has stopped in the lake and we're all looking at the sky it's lit up it looks like sherbert on lsd it's fuchsia and orange and yellow and lavender and purple and all of our boats are pink even though they're really not pink all our faces are lit up i think even the birds look at that sunrise it can be a gray, rainy day after that, but boy, that sunrise is the best part of my morning and the best part of the week when we get one. Love rowing.
3: Hi, my name is Aram. I live on Vashon Island in Washington. I'm actually a new rower. I just got an urge, and I'm having a great time getting to know the urge and figuring out how to train. It's pretty awesome.
4: Hi, this is Corinne Wiggins, aka the Black Coxswain. And the best part of my rowing week is seeing our improvement on the urge executed on the water. Due to the pandemic, a lot of people have been discouraged and have lost interest in the sport, but the few people that have stuck to it have been pushing really hard. It's just a really great feeling to see all of their visible improvement. Don't
0: forget, you can add your voice to this segment. Just record your own voice on your phone to share the best part of your rowing week. Send the audio to us anytime at bestpart at Network.com.
1: Hey team, that's it for today. For show notes, links, extras, bonus content, and to join our Patreon community, visit studystatenetwork.com.
0: In two, let it run. One, two, let it run.